Welcome to the Post-Narc Life Podcast. It's time to leave behind the narcissist narrative and build an amazing life that you love. You got through, but you're not done. We're going to build your next level of wealth, create healthy relationships, find deep self-connection to expand your unique impact on this world, and leave behind a legacy of love. I'm your host, Laura, by the way. I've been there. I get it. And I've got you. Let's go build your post-narc life. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I am recording this in the morning. Usually I record at night, but I'm trying this out. I'm checking it out, see how I like it. How are you doing? How is it going creating that post-narc life? Have you done the exercises or have you figured out some things you like and don't like? Have you made a plan for what you want your life to look like and how you want to feel? If so, well done. You are on the right path. If not, there's no time like the present. Why don't you go ahead and re-listen to episodes one through three to get the foundation for going and creating the life you actually want, because this is possible. It's available to you and it can look like whatever you want it to look like. You've got this. All right. So today's episode, we're going to be diving into a topic that was requested. I love getting requests for podcast episode topics. So if you had something that you'd like me to address, send it on over. Let's do it. Go over to my Instagram at Laura, by the way. So it's just L-A-U-R-A-B-Y-T-H-E-W-A-Y. That's my Instagram. And just send me a DM. Let me know what you'd like me to talk about next week or in a few weeks. All right, so the topic she requested is about how to have compassion and empathy for the narcissist in your life who is very obviously suffering while also not compromising on your life and also setting healthy boundaries to keep yourself emotionally safe. That's a tricky one. And honestly, this topic deserves a whole book. But for today, we're going to keep it as succinct as possible so you can walk away with some confidence knowing exactly what to do in the situation. So we're going to start with why it's hard to have both compassion and healthy boundaries to keep you safe and what creates that situation that we narcissism survivors deal with on a regular basis. And then I'm going to show you exactly what it looks like to hold both compassion and boundaries in a way that keeps you safe. All right, let's dive in. Why this is so hard. So if you're asking this question, how do I have compassion while also setting boundaries? It means that you're dealing with a narcissist person that you happen to love. Usually it's your family member or a very close friend or somebody you really care about. And there are so many of us who can realize that they're dealing with a narc and immediately go no contact and never have to deal with that person again. And I say good for them. I think if that's available to you, you should absolutely do that. But in situations with family members, it can be a lot less cut and dry. Going no contact certainly is an option for literally anyone, even family members. You, you can do that if you want to. But there might be good reasons why you choose not to. Maybe you keep them in your life for various reasons that belong to you. It's nobody's job to tell you who you should or shouldn't have in your life. What matters is your thoughts. What matters is why you make these decisions. And what also matters is the results you're creating in your life and whether or not you want them. That's the most important part. I think a lot of people will tell you, yeah, you should just immediately go no contact or yep, take them out of your life. And while, yeah, in some situations, that's probably the best scenario, the best thing you could do. It's certainly not the best for everyone. 
And it really just depends on those three factors that I said earlier. So for the purposes of this episode and illustrating our work here, let's go ahead and focus on specifically a narcissist mom situation. I have a lot of experience with this myself, and most of my clients are going to deal with this too. Narcissist moms truly are their own breed. They fall under the maternal narcissist category or perhaps the covert narc category, whatever their classification is. They tend to wreak tremendous havoc on our nervous systems in very subtle ways. And it goes really, really deep. Moms and mom relationships can really go deep. And these women, bless their hearts, are dealing with extreme emotional immaturity. And that's usually there because of how they were raised due to their own abuse. I mean, nobody wakes up and decides, I'm going to be a narc today. That's just not reality. And we won't get into that too much in terms of where their abuse came from, because there's not really a whole lot we can do about their abuse. And I really don't want to run the risk of encouraging over empathy for what she's had to pass through. Suffice to know that there is an origin and that you are likely the recipient of a long chain of generational abuse, which is both bad news and good news. The bad news is that you have work to do that you never asked for, but the good news is that it can stop with you. I mean, that's why we're here, right? So the main thing to understand when dealing with an emotional child And I I say emotional child, not from a place of condescension, not from a place of judgment. I'm not, you know, trying to insult anyone with that particular phraseology. I, I, I say emotional child with a lot of love and compassion myself, because again, we understand that that's not something they probably would have chosen for themselves, but it's what's presenting as reality. And if you can see a narcissist really as an emotional child, you can have a lot more emotional leverage and be a lot less able to be manipulated. All right. So when you're dealing with an emotional child, which again, that's what narcissists essentially are. So they, I define narcissists as emotional children with harmful tools that are going to hurt others to get their emotional needs met. They believe that by hurting others, they can get their emotional needs met. So when you're dealing with an emotional child, everything they say or do is designed to create a bad emotion in your body so that you do something different to make them feel better. They are in the habit of blaming you and relying on you to solve the pain that they can't deal with. So let's look at the narc mom situation. Our topic requester put in, let's call her Jill. All right. So throughout Jill's childhood, she and her mom did not have clearly defined boundaries. And listen, I know exactly what this is like. When I was growing up, there was really no difference emotionally between my mom and I. She relied on her kids a lot for her emotional support. She divorced a lot. So as men came in and out of our lives, she would rely more and more on the things that didn't leave, which was us. Trying to parent and also rely emotionally on kids was confusing, to say the least, for us kids. And I personally was very resentful a lot, but I honestly, I didn't know why. And I was scared to share my resentment, right? I was always pretending that everything was fine. Uh, But now I know it's because it's a one-way street. I couldn't rely on her in the same way at all. I couldn't tell her the truth. I constantly had to lie to keep myself emotionally safe. And I put myself in adult shoes before I was ready. And so that created a lot of uh, inner, deep, buried resentment for me. (laughs) So I can definitely relate to this person's uh, situation. And so hopefully she doesn't mind me reading from the message that she sent me. I'm going to keep everything anonymous as much as possible. But I really think that so many of you can relate to her story. At the age of 15, my father passed away. And as the youngest of five, 
Mom and I didn't have clearly defined boundaries about our mother and daughter roles. I took on responsibility for her happiness as a friend, spouse, etc. So when I became older and got married, that was a really hard adjustment for her. She was jealous, she had a hard time sharing me, and I felt like I had to split my attention. When I became a mother, it intensified because now my priority is my baby and my spouse. I included her as much as possible, but of course I wanted to spend time nurturing just us, my new family, right? She really struggled. She made me feel guilty a lot. Fast forward to this year, we moved out of state. She was hurt, mad, scared, treated me as if I was a boyfriend breaking up with her, gave things back, wouldn't talk to me. She sends me texts like, I miss you. I'm happy for you, but sad for me. You don't miss me. You have the life you always wanted now. I release you of your responsibility to me. You're having lunch with friends, but it should be me. But I'm, oh, but I'm so happy for you. You need to show more compassion for me. Be sensitive to my feelings. I'm allowed to be sad. I get to tell you exactly what I think. It's my therapy. It took me until a few years ago to start realizing and processing what I'd been through and the weight that I had carried for so long. Physically moving out of state was the best thing and the best decision ever. I've never felt so light. I felt like I was an 18-year-old moving away from home for the first time. The furthest I have ever lived away from home was one hour. I love my mom dearly. She's been through it. She's been through it. I didn't even mention that my brother also passed away when I was 13. So in a period of five years, she lost her own mother, my brother, and then her husband. I felt like I tiptoed through adolescence, trying to be perfect or hiding things that weren't. Try not to rock the boat, doing things that make her happy. And then once I started changing and becoming my own person, she would say things like, wow, you're not my little girl girl anymore. You've become hard and cold. All right, end quote. All right, y'all don't even know, getting messages like this to dissect is seriously a field day for me. I absolutely love it. Okay, so let's break this down. Mom is dealing with tons of unprocessed grief. I mean, tons. She lost her husband, her son, her children moved away as an empty nester. She set herself up for even more loss when she decided to rely on her 15-year-old for all of her emotional needs. This poor girl, Jill, only sent me these few messages, so I'm not sure of all the details of her life, but I can imagine that mom didn't even... I can imagine that mom probably didn't let Jill grieve the loss of her own father or her brother. Not really, because mom's grief had to take the front seat because all that matters is that mom needs to be okay. And at 15, you're still a child. There's so much loss to process here. And I feel deeply for what that 15-year-old had to bear. Everything that was mentioned, the jealousy, making her split her time, making her feel guilty, making her include her regardless of whether or not her daughter wanted to include her. Notice here how mom is so blinded by her own deep pain and unprocessed grief and emptiness that she can't even see, nor does she have even a concept of caring about her own daughter's loss, what she might be going through, her goals, her life, her wants, her needs, what's best for her. It's truly another layer of loss here for Jill. But in the situation, it's all about mom. And if you don't agree, you're a bad daughter who's hard and cold. You're not my little girl I once knew anymore. You're different. Oh, (laughs) listen, I am so proud of Jill here. I'm so proud of her. I'm proud of her for moving forward with her life, regardless of the emotional baggage that was heavy on her. That was incredibly brave for her to make those decisions to move forward with her life. I know very much how unfun that is. And so I'm really proud of her that she did that. It's honestly insane how similar our upbringings are and how similar our moms are, even down to the exact phraseology that she would use. 
I honestly, I could have written the story myself. It's, it's, I, we didn't deal with that much loss in terms of people passing away in um, my formative years, but there was a lot of loss in terms of like divorce and, and tragedies that happened in life. Uh, anyway, so this mom did not show up as the emotional adult for various reasons that we probably can't control or even fathom because it's not our job, right? She showed up as the child and Jill, in order to survive, became the emotional adult. Please understand this. This is 100% abuse. It is 100% inappropriate. It is not okay to treat children this way. There is a boundary between adults and children, an emotional boundary where adults are responsible for themselves and they are responsible for their children. And the children are learning to only become responsible for themselves. And then when they are adults and they are responsible for themselves, they also become responsible for their children if they choose to have them. It is a one-way street, people. It is a one-direction street. Now, side note, okay, elderly care is a thing. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who are a lot more versed in this topic and know better than me, but I believe that it is an adult's job to do the best they can to set themselves up for their own retirement and elderly care as much as possible. That's just my opinion, but I digress. We can get into that in a different day. So let's talk about how we can have appropriate compassion and empathy for this mom while also keeping ourselves emotionally safe. So as I kind of touched on before, this mom was likely abused as a child and was never given the space or the safety to develop into an emotional adult. Again, this does not excuse her behavior. It just helps us have a little bit of context. It's a tall order to ask someone who has been treated this way in their childhood and hasn't been given that it's literal brain development, right? There are structures in the brain that are required to be built in order to have emotional adulthood. And when you are abused as a child, those actual brain structures simply aren't there. It's almost like a disability. And I'm not calling narcissist moms disabled, okay? But it, it's it's similar in that way, that the structures just don't exist. It's just not there. And so it's a really tall order to ask someone who's who has developed in this way to magically become the emotional adult. There's just, there's no recourse there. They're, they are in fight or flight. They are trying to get their emotional needs met and they don't know how to do it in other ways, or they either they don't know or they refuse to. I'm not, I'm not really sure which one. I guess everyone's different. But regardless, they're not getting their emotional needs met in healthy ways. And they take whatever they can that's right in front of them. And when I used to think about my mom and how it was her hope that she could finally get her needs met with her kids, and to ask her not to do that seemed really tragic. The utter loneliness and injustice of of this for my mom was was a hard thing to bear for me as a child. I really, I could see it. I could see how she wasn't getting her emotional needs met by her mom, who was an alcoholic and wasn't even there and only called her when she was drunk and was really abusive. And I mean, I could go into it. Um, and then she, she happened to be raised by her grandmother, who was also very narcissistic for sure, among probably other things. And there was no emotional health in that family whatsoever, like whatsoever. So the fact that my mom was doing as well as she did is actually really amazing. But emotionally for mom, it was just not available to her to be able to see her children as their own entities that she didn't need to rely upon. She was just like, oh, this is perfect. I've created a means by which I can have my emotional needs met. This is awesome. And so me being able to see that as a child, it was really hard for me to watch that for many reasons, obviously. But one of the things that I could see was that 
if I were to ask my mom not to rely on me emotionally, then she is left alone. She is left with so much grief and loss. And I couldn't bear that as a child. I couldn't. Obviously, as an adult, I feel differently. But as a child, I was willing to put myself in that position to keep my mom happy because that's what children do. Children want to insert themselves and make things okay when they feel threatened, when they feel like something's not right. When mom's not okay, they will rush in and try to make things better. At least some of them, maybe not all kids. I certainly did. My son actually has that has that tendency as well. It's been fascinating to watch. If if he notices that something's not right with me, if I'm not doing okay emotionally, he rushes in to try to save me. And I've several times had to calmly reassure him, hey, mom's okay. Mom can handle it. Mom is having big emotions right now. Maybe she's stressed. Maybe she's sad. Maybe she's scared, but it's going to be okay. And I try to help him understand that I have my husband that can help me. Also, I know how to manage my own emotions. And I try to redirect back to his emotions. Are you feeling stressed and scared that mom is stressed? Are you feeling uncomfortable because mom is feeling a big emotion? What's that about? How can I help you deal with that? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Do you feel unsafe? How is it going in your mind? And how can I help you process through that? Obviously, I don't say words like that. I try to bring it down his level. But basically, it's about understanding that really when children try to rush in to save their parents emotionally, what they're trying to do is manage their own sense of fight or flight, their own fear. And they believe because they're children and they don't have adult perspective that they can go in and fix things. But the reality is that they can't, but they believe that they can. So they're going to try anyways. And in situations where you have a narcissist mom who is has a severe emotional immaturity, she's going to accept that child trying to fix it. She's going to be like, oh my gosh, the day is saved. My child has fixed me. What a, what a blessing. This is so convenient. And I'm so grateful that I have this person now to rely upon. And they're, they have no concept how terribly damaging and abusive that is to that child. And neither does the child. I went through years and years of believing that mom and I had a very special relationship that we were best friends, that it was better than any other relationship I ever saw with any other mom and daughter. For many years, I believed there was nothing wrong with our relationship. And I was also dealing with a lot of things on the back end that were not serving me. I was a severe people pleaser. I had a lot of messed up relationships throughout my late childhood, early adulthood. I had a lot of anxiety and fear and I had eating disorders. I mean, it was just, there was so many side effects happening and I was just clueless. Like what could possibly be causing all of this. I have no idea. I have an amazing relationship with my mom. That's certainly not it, right? I had a decent childhood. Like this is such a mystery, right? And it's just like, of course, when you really start to see what's really going on, then you're like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. I've been sacrificing myself. I've been doing what's not best for me for someone else when that's that's inappropriate. People don't understand that their emotions belong to them and it's not someone else's job to fix their emotions. And when you're in that dynamic with a mother-child situation and fight or flight is involved and survival mechanisms are involved, it becomes very, very powerful and it starts showing up in other areas of your life. All that to say that I get it. I get that this is a big burden for my mom to carry and I empathize with that. But at the same time, she just didn't have the tools that we have today. And our opportunity is that we can do that work that she wasn't able to do. We have the tools. We have the ability. We can be the ones to have had to endure what was given to us and also not pass it on to our children. We can bear the grief that belongs to us. We can process the loss 
for ourselves that our mothers didn't know how to do for themselves. It can end with us. Now, what I mean by that is, is not processing their grief, right? That's not yours to process. It still belongs to her. But the grief that you feel, the loss that you feel for a childhood that was hijacked, that's something that you have to deal with. So safe compassion is really about seeing the reality of the hardships that our mothers have had to bear and empathizing with the pain that they might be feeling, okay? But up to a point, so many times our empathy has been hijacked and taken to an inappropriate place. That empathy, that is a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful gift to have empathy and narcissists do not have this gift. Either they're unwilling or their pain and grief is is so monumental that they simply cannot access that part of their brain to have empathy, right? But our empathy is intact and it is a beautiful gift to have. Unfortunately, though, it was used against us to control our behavior and to force us to do things that we didn't want to do in order to make someone else's pain go away. Here's the truth. Are you ready? You cannot make your mom's pain go away. Even though you have been conditioned to believe that, trust me, I've been too, but it's actually not true. If she isn't doing the work to process her grief in appropriate ways, you doing things to keep her happy is like a band-aid on a bullet wound. You're not actually helping. Yes, she's going to feel better for a minute. She's going to make it to the next day. But the minute you leave or the minute you have other friends or heaven forbid, you get married and live your own life, then you become the bad guy. You, you're the worst. You have reopened the wound and they cannot deal with that kind of thing. This is such a powerful situation because like I was mentioning earlier with, with the childlike mind, believing that they can fix a situation, they don't understand this concept. You cannot fix your mother's pain and trying to make her feel better is about making you feel better. It's about making you feel safe again, but you're not actually helping her in any productive way. And it doesn't mean that you totally go no contact and you hate her and all of that stuff. That's not what I'm saying, but understanding your limitations, regardless of what you've been taught in the past, you have been conditioned over many years to believe that somehow you're helping her when in reality, you're just, you're just putting that bandaid on and she's never actually dealing with the grief. She's never actually processing it out. She's not healing. She's just distracting herself through you. And it's not your job to manage that, but how much are you sacrificing so that she can feel better for a minute? So instead, what if we could spend a moment feeling how hard it must be for her using that beautiful empathy, understanding how tragic her life has been, and then you stop? Because her tragedy is hers to deal with. And listen, it might sound really cruel of me to say this, and I promise I'm saying it with so much love and understanding. I was raised by a version of her. I get it. But it is her loss. It is her grief. And it cannot be borne by anyone else, except maybe Jesus. <laughs> but but even then, there's like, you still got to bear it. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, <laughs> listen, you can hold her hand for a minute understanding that she's having a hard time, that she's got so much loss to bear. And that can come from your heart, but not from obligation. Maybe you decide that you want to talk to her once a month 
That's a decision. That's a boundary that you can make. You can sit down and write it out. Okay, what is it that you truly want? What are some limits that you can handle? What are some things that you can do that you can feel safe with at the same time? And this could be an experiment. Maybe you decide, okay, I'm going to see what it's like to talk to her once a month. And if that goes well, great. And if that doesn't, we reassess, right? It really doesn't matter what your boundaries look like. What matters is what you feel the safest doing and what feels right to you. So you can decide for how long and you decide that you'll be done as soon as she starts throwing stuff at you to make you feel guilt or shame. Because she's going to do that because she she just can't help it. <laughs> I mean, maybe she can't help it. We don't know. But <laughs> she she's likely going to do things that she's been used to doing for many, many years. And your job in that moment is to get yourself out of the situation. And listen, you don't set these boundaries. You don't have to set them with a sense of vindictiveness of like, I'm doing this to you. This is my punishment. No, it's just like if you're dealing with a child and they happen to have a knife nearby and you're like, okay, I'm going to hang out with you for a minute. You can be near the child until they decide to pick up that knife and swing at you, right? As soon as they pick up the knife, you're like, all right, I got to go. We're done here. I got to go. And she's likely not going to learn how to stop picking up the knife to deal with her emotions. All right. Now, what you can do is send her to me. <laughs> See if she wants to work with me and I can help her stop picking up that knife. But um, it's unlikely that she'll end up wanting to choose that. But you never know. Send her to me. And uh, in fact, I, have, I actually have worked with um, moms of clients. And just it's just depending on how far along they are in the narcissist spectrum. I can actually help them. Sometimes they're a little too far along and I can't help. Um, but sometimes people believe that they're in a narcissist mom situation and they might be, but the mom, if she were to be shown a, a better way, if she were to actually do some healing on herself, she actually creates that ability for her to have a healthy relationship with her child. So that's available, but you know, don't, <laughs> don't, don't necessarily push your mom unwilling or anything like that. Uh, I, I, I would, I would be very careful with that because while that it is a possibility, I don't want your mind to, to fixate on that that fantasy of her healing and you doing everything you can to make that happen because it's up to her. Like you can share her, the podcast you can share with her that, you know, my Instagram or whatever, like things I have out there. I have this uh, freebie uh, out there called five things your adult daughter needs you to know. That's a really, really good one. You can share that with her. I can link that in the show notes, but ultimately you can't make her do this work and you can't like force her to do it. And so I don't want your mind to be fixated on her healing so that you can finally heal. I want you to do the healing on your own and then have her journey of healing be something that's a bonus. Like if it happens, amazing. We're going to be really happy for her and that relationship might be able to heal. But if it doesn't, that's okay too, because it's her journey and it belongs to her and wherever she's at is perfect because that's, that's really what it's all about. Like that childlike instinct to try to fix mom is very powerful. And if we fixate on that, then we are not looking at our own grief and our own emotions that need to be dealt with. So you don't want to engage in in that kind of emotional dynamic because it just perpetuates the thing you're trying to, to heal from. So I just want to make that caveat there. So these decisions about your boundaries with your mom are going to come, right? You just, you you figure it out. Maybe you you experiment. Maybe you can figure out what it is that you like, what you want. But I want to direct you and anyone else listening to this who has dealt with a situation. I want you to come back to your own grief. If you haven't already, this is a very important step for you to take. Your mom did not let you grieve properly, especially in the situation with Jill. At least that's my assumption. I could be wrong about that. We only had very limited messages, but 
it's my guess that her mom did not allow her to grieve the things that she needed to grieve. And like I said earlier, fixing her situation is about you covering your grief about her grief. So there's two types of grief here. It's the grief that you feel from all of that loss. And it's the grief about your mom's grief, that compassion that you have for her watching her suffer. It's really terrible. I know it's not easy to watch someone that we love go through these terrible things, especially someone we care about, like our mom on that deep level. We want to fix it. And Instead, I want to offer that it's okay to go to the heavy place about all of this. Your grief is important too. No one else can bear it for you and it belongs to you. And the sooner that you can really be in touch with that and process your grief out, the less susceptible you are going to be to any tactics that your mom has to try to get her emotional needs met. You have suffered tremendous loss on multiple levels, not just Jill, but anyone who's listening who relates to this. Yes, you have suffered tremendous loss. And when you needed a mom the most, she was too broken to be able to care for you and she used you. So there's just layers and layers and levels of abuse and loss. And it's really important that you notice these things. And I I want you also to see that in in this mom situation, notice that no one is worried about their appropriate levels of compassion for you and your loss, right? Because you're concerned, like, how do I have compassion for this person? Your mom's not asking herself that question. She's not saying, how do I have compassion for my daughter? She's not saying that. And I don't say that to be entitled or anything, but I want you to see that there's an uneven application of rules and expectations here, okay? I want you to see that the finger of blame (laughs) is being pointed at you, being cold and hard, for not being as compassionate as she wants her to be. But she has no idea how she's hurting you. She has no concept that anything she might be saying to you might be painful and and hard for you. She has no concept of compassion for you, and yet she's demanding it of you. She's demanding a version of compassion. She's calling it compassion, but she's not actually demanding compassion from you. She's demanding you caretake her emotionally. Those are different things. She's calling it compassion, right? Narcissists do this all the time. They twist and change, slightly change definitions of words to serve their purposes. She's over here saying, you need to have more compassion on me. That's not what compassion is. She doesn't know what compassion is. She's using that word because she knows that it works. She knows that if she can tell you that you're not being compassionate enough, that you're going to try a little harder to caretake her. But it's actually not true. There's no compassion there. That's not what real compassion is. Real compassion is a sense of, I understand what you're going through. I feel it with you. But she expects you to act on that compassion in a way that makes her feel better, that hurts you. And that is not appropriate. And that's not what compassion is for. So don't let her hijack your God-given beautiful sense of compassion here. It's just not appropriate. All right. So you can love your mom. Of course you can love your mom. Love is unconditional. Love is safe and beautiful and warm. But her idea of you loving her is going to be different than what actual love is. You can love her in the way that is safe for you. And she probably won't believe you that you love her. And it's your job to be okay with that. So start teaching your brain to get out of your mom's brain and emotions and back into yours. Your mom conditioned you to predict her emotions, to understand her on a deep level, to analyze everything she's going through and what she's feeling and thinking, and maybe even 
embodying her emotions is something that you've been conditioned to do. Listen, this is a survival response. This is not true love. True love is seeing her for exactly who she is, choosing to feel love for her and see the value in her simply because she exists, feeling that compassion, that empathy of how hard her life has been and letting that be it. You are not her caretaker. She is. She is choosing not to take care of herself right now. That is not in your control. It's hard to watch, I know. But if we continue to caretake mom, our own emotional health and the emotional health of our children will suffer. And does that mean that you're a jerk and you never call her again and you tell her all these things and (laughs) you try to make her feel terrible? No, of course that's not what that means, right? Yes, you can have a conversation with her on the phone and feel love for her in that moment. But as soon as she starts trying to manipulate you or abuse you, you can say, mom, I love you. I've got to go, right? Like letting that boundary be there to protect both of you. It's a beautiful way to relate to someone. Maybe what you do is you keep things really surface level. That's something that I used toward the ends of of my mom's life. When I would talk to her, we would only talk about surface level things, which is such an interesting idea because like in the narcissist world, there is that weird separation of like surface level and like deep level. And it's like, okay, as as an adult, I've started to see that there's an interesting dichotomy there that's not actually useful. I think what it does is it creates sort of a trauma bond as opposed to actual intimacy uh, um, of friendship. There's really no need for you to go deep like that with everyone if that you want to be, you know, have that intimacy with that, that emotional intimacy with that's not really necessary. I used to think that was required to have a really good friendship. And that if we didn't have that, it wasn't a very good friendship. And in the narcissist world, it's like, oh, she just keeps things surface level. Like that's terrible. You know, she, she doesn't actually know the real me. She doesn't actually care about the real me. And it's just not true. Surface level, quote unquote, is a perfectly fine way to have a great friendship with someone, to have a great relationship with someone. So toward the end of my mom's life, that was kind of the boundary that I had was to keep things, you know, surface level and not go super deep with, you know, anything. And then as soon as it started to go really deep, I, I would probably end the conversation or change the subject uh, or, or, or some form of that so that it would keep things really safe for me. And of course, that was very frustrating for my mom. She didn't appreciate that. She felt like she lost me as a daughter. She felt like, you know, she didn't know me anymore. felt like I didn't know her anymore. And of course, that isn't true, or at least wasn't true for me. Um, That's certainly how she felt. But at the end of the day, I was exhausting myself trying to solve all of her problems. I was exhausting myself trying to make her feel like she had emotional connection with me. And I had my own children and a business to run and a husband and my own life. And when I realized that I was overexerting myself emotionally, it was like, okay, this is not appropriate. No one's asking how I'm doing. It's my job to manage how I'm doing. And if that requires boundaries, that's what it requires. And so, of course, I feel love for my mom. Of course, I feel compassion for her. I mean, I've spent many a time over my lifetime in that period of of loss and grief for her life. And I've decided that I've spent enough of that time in grief for her life. And I'm going to focus on my own grief and my own emotional needs because me suffering for her doesn't actually help her, but it's important for me to process whatever is there. All right. So you can, you can still love your mom. Of course you can. And that's kind of what that looks like. And you can kind of experiment and see what's best for you and see kind of what really sets up 
your life and your emotions for success and always, always, always understanding that your emotions always belong to you. Even if mom tries to abuse you, right? We're not going to blame mom. We're not going to say that mom caused our emotions. We're going to take full responsibility for any emotions that we have. And the way that we do that, and we've heard this on this podcast before, is we look at our own thoughts and our thoughts create our emotions. Now, does that mean that we have you know, full access to our moms and that they get to abuse us anytime they want? No, of course not. That's not what that means. For sure, set the boundaries. But if you're noticing that your thoughts are creating a lot of emotional drama for you, you can manage that for yourself and it belongs to you. Now, if your mom is not as far on the narcissist spectrum and she actually has some ability to have some empathy and you can communicate with her, absolutely, you can give her an opportunity. Mom, when you said this, this was really painful for me. Can we work on this, right? You can give her that opportunity if it's safe to do so. If you try and it totally fails, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means you gave her an opportunity and you realized what was available to you and what was not. And so again, lots of experimentation. There's no wrong way to do this. There's just thoughts, emotions, and boundaries and decisions that you're going to make. And it's important to practice what real love is. Real love is unconditional. You can absolutely love your mom exactly as she is right now. You can forgive her for everything she's ever done to you. Forgiveness is not about saying that you know, everything she did was okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Likely your forgiveness was hijacked too. And so you need to have a new definition of forgiveness, which means that you release someone else from the justice of managing the burden of your hurt, right? You take responsibility for your hurt, not by saying that it was all your fault, but by saying my hurt belongs to me, regardless of how it got there, I can heal, I can grow, I can change. And I release that person from having to say, sorry, I release that person from fixing it before I can heal. That's what forgiveness is. It's releasing that person from needing to fix me so that I can heal. I can heal regardless of whether or not that person has any say in any of this, whether or not they say sorry, whether or not they try to fix it. I can heal no matter what. That's what true forgiveness is about. We'll do another podcast episode about that, but that's just a little snippet there. You can absolutely do all of this work, whether or not your mom responds the way you want. And it's so freeing and so healing to take appropriate responsibility for yourself in the situation. And this is a beautiful opportunity to do that. There's so much to be learned here in your relationship with your mom, so much information to mine about you, to figure out your thoughts, your emotions, your needs, your wants, your levels of grief. Where are you at? And she can show you that just you know by that relationship she has with you. So it's really a great opportunity if you can choose to see it that way. You don't have to. <laughs> I, I see it that way now because of all the work I've done, but I'm not saying that you have to see it that way, but I like to see it that way. It, it helps lighten the burden for me as well. Okay. I just want to close out this episode by emphasizing that again, you cannot save your mom emotionally because doing so, especially as a child in this situation is like a tugboat trying to save the Titanic from sinking. You can't stop it. You just can't. You can only watch as it sinks. And it's terrible. Believe me, I know. And I spent years trying to stop my Titanic from sinking and it didn't work. And I almost drowned too. So take that for what you will there. If, if that's helpful, I hope it's helpful. And if you're in this situation, the best thing you can do is to create some distance if you possibly can. Emotional distance, physical distance, or both, ideally. If you can really create emotional and physical distance, that would be great. And in that distance that you've created for yourself, you start doing the work to heal. 
Specifically, find your own unprocessed griefs and be with those as long as your body and your mind need. And then really take a look at all those sentences that she says that create emotions in your body. We're talking about this a little bit earlier. That's part of the work that we do. The coaching work that we do is getting clear on exactly what emotions are created when certain words are said. You can find where your brain is believing the things that she's saying, because that's really where the work is, that that belief part of your brain that like agrees with some of the words that she's saying is where the real power is. I can kind of guess, I don't know for sure, because it's just a, a, a message, but I, I can kind of guess from the message that Jill sent me that one thing that her brain is likely believing, agreeing with when her mom says that she should have more compassion on her and be more sensitive to her emotions. I, I think it's just insane and, and frankly cruel of this mom to use this phraseology. And I, I say that with a lot of love, knowing that if this mom actually knew what she was doing to her daughter, she would probably be horrified and stop immediately. But of course, that's not available to her. And her the reality is her daughter has had worlds more compassion on her mother than she ever should have. And so... I think in this situation, Jill's brain might be afraid that she hasn't had enough compassion. Uh, that's just a guess here. But my point is, you can see where you're being told things that you're holding onto like this. That And this will help you get really clear on what you should do, how you should feel, and it gives you exactly what you need to work on. So all the texts you've ever gotten from your mom, all the long, you know, drawn out emails you've ever gotten, what we could do is we could mine those. We can look at, okay, what are the sentences that create the most emotional response in your body? And then let's take them out, look at them. What is it about this sentence that's creating that for you? What do you believe about this sentence? And we do that work over and over and over again. We run models or we work on that in our calls. And it's really that process actually changes your brain. It really helps you see, oh, okay, it's creating that distance. It's creating that ability to, to look at just the sentences, put them in the neutral place and remove that power that those words have on you. Because mom's whole survival response, her job is to use whatever words will work to get you to do the thing that takes care of her emotional needs. And so she's going to throw a lot at you. And if something works, she's going to zero in on those particular words or sentences because she knows that that works and that's going to continue to perpetuate all of those emotions that you have. And then you get into a habit and it's just like, she doesn't even have to say the words. You just already believe it, right? And so it's it's really turning that process on its head to look at specific sentences. And trust me, that is the most fun thing that I, that I do. I love, love, love doing that. When people bring me texts their mom has sent them or emails or words that they've said, I'm like, yes, let's dig into it. This is so much fun. And it's so magical to watch how my clients, their brains literally change in front of my eyes. Like you can see that they're like, oh, okay, there's that separation there. There's that distance. They no longer believe those words in the same way or they no longer agree in the same way and they have that power come back to them. It's truly remarkable. I love it. So if you would like help with that, that's what I do. One-on-one -on -one coaching, let's go. I think it will be so much fun to work with you. I can help you sort these things out piece by piece. Also being raised by a mom like this. Trust me, if this is what you're dealing with, it is the tip of the iceberg. There is lots of work to do, let me tell you. So I usually work with my clients for about a year. I think a year's time is uh, the perfect amount of time to really dive deep into this work. Send me a message, DM me on Instagram, email me, Lara, at bythewaycoaching.com. Let's get started, get you on my calendar. We'll 
we'll get this done. We'll get you taken care of so that you can feel appropriately compassionate for your mom and feel totally emotionally safe from anything that she throws at you. That is a powerful place to be doing this work for yourself, breaking that cycle for your children. This is why we do what we do. It's it's a wonderful work and privilege to do all of this. And so I would be honored to be your coach on that. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much for being here. I hope this was helpful. We'll talk next time. Bye. Are you ready to take your postdoc life from dream to reality? I work with people just like you who've had to survive a lot of narcissist abuse and want to build things they never thought possible. If you want my help, I offer one-on-one coaching where we deep dive into your specific situation and clear out all the narcissist conditioning in your way so that you can start living the life you want. Feeling peace and setting boundaries? That is just the beginning. Go to laurabytheway.com to apply for your one-on-one coaching spot. See you there.